Take your Bibles, if you would, and turn with me to the book of Acts. Today's topic is clean. Acts chapter 11, verses 1 through 18. Now, in Acts chapter 10, just to give you a little bit of background, uh, Peter was encouraged to go speak to Cornelius, and he has this vision, right, that this, this sheet comes down, there's all these animals, he's going back and forth with God, I've never eaten anything unclean, and God's saying all things are clean, don't call unclean what I've called clean, but Peter's like, I just, I don't understand, uh, I don't know what's going on. And then God is setting him up for the bigger picture, whereas God is going to fulfill the Abrahamic covenant in that he said, through you, Abraham, and this was in Genesis chapter 12, Genesis chapter 11, all the nations came together in the Tower of Babylon, right? And they were trying to build this tower, and I don't think it was necessarily the architecture that they thought was going to get them to heaven. I would think it was some sort of ziggurat or some sort of channeling in the, in the unseen realm where they're trying, to, uh, they're trying to conjure down an alternative path to becoming gods themselves. The very same thing that, that, uh, that the, the serpent was telling Adam and Eve in the garden. And I think what was going on is they, they had this works mentality that, that through humanism and uh, your own performance and your own self-effort, that you could, in essence, sim symbolically, kind of make a stairway, no Led Zeppelin, <laughs> a stairway to heaven. Um, and of course, God, he looked down and whatever else was going on in that, in that narrative, we don't know, but uh, that he comes down and, and then spreads the people uh, and confounds the language, Babel. So there was babbling going on. If I were to hear someone speak in another language that wasn't my native tongue, it would sound like Babel to me. That's where we get that idea of, of babbling. Um, and so their languages were confounded, and people were uh, being spread abroad. And then in the very next chapter, God knocks on the heart's door of Abraham. And then Abraham believed God when he said, come out from among them, come out from the Ur of Chaldees, and um, I will make of you a great nation. And God gives them this promise that as, the, as, as much as the stars under the heaven are, through you, through your seed, singular, meaning it was going to be the Messiah, meaning back uh, with uh, Genesis 3.15, that uh, the prologue to the gospel, or the, the gospel in a nutshell, to where there's the seed of the woman, then there's the seed of the serpent, and he's going to crush the head, but the serpent's going to smite the heel. It's the Messiah that's going to become born of a virgin. And then after Babylon, God, God uh, taps Abraham, and he said, it's through you that all the nations are going to be blessed. And he was saying this before circumcision, before the law, before uh, the nation of Israel was even intact. And so this Abrahamic covenant where God puts Abraham to sleep, and then God performs the covenant, and he walks down the midst of the sacrifices because it was a blood sacrifice, meaning that the conditions are if you break a blood covenant, it's your blood that's required. So God knew that all mankind wouldn't be capable of keeping their end of the bargain, so God did it uh, on their behalf, much like it was pointing to the cross where the blood covenant of the New Testament is that Jesus did it for us, it was his blood and not ours because we, he knew that we couldn't keep our end of the agreement. So 
God put Abraham to sleep. But when we come to Acts chapter 10 and Acts chapter 11, remember, it's kind of like Babylon dispersed, the nations regathered. They're regathered in Jerusalem in, in Acts chapter 2, and then Pentecost comes. The Holy Spirit comes down, and everyone heard the languages that were different. They were all hearing the miracle of tongues was that they were able to understand everyone that was speaking a different language in their own language. It was a miracle. It was before, you know, the United Nations where they put the earbuds in and everyone from the 185 nations or however many nations are represented, they're able to hear uh, like an instantaneous translation going on. So if you speak uh, Arabic and someone speaking uh, Swahili, they're able to understand each other with their earbuds. Now that's modern technology, but 2,000 years ago, God interpreted people's language. He undid Babylon. People heard the gospel. They believed the gospel, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and then they were going back home uh, to the nations from which they came in the known world at the time, as far as way down south in Ethiopia and, and Africa. So the gospel was being spread uh, to all the world. Remember, remember Jesus, Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. You'll receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem. That was the epicenter. That was ground zero. Judea, Samaria, and then the uttermost parts of the earth. And that's exactly what was taking place uh, during uh, God uh, depositing his Holy Spirit in believers. Well, the first eight chapters of the book of Acts is dealing with the nation of Israel. Jews, 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 Jews. Everyone that gathered, it was a Jewish holiday, a Jewish feast day, a Jewish uh, uh, observation. And then when they got saved, these Jews now were converted, filled with the Holy Spirit. And then they started going back to their other nations. But for the most part, a lot of them stayed there. And you remember, they started selling everything. They started living communally. They started having all things in common. But they were hunkered down in Jerusalem, the epicenter. And then God said, well, I want this gospel to continue to go out into, into all the world. Then you come to Acts chapter 9, where Paul gets saved, and then he becomes the apostle to the Gentiles, but he has like 14 years, and he has some years there where he's, he's still trying to, he's going to seminary, in other words, with Jesus. He's, he's, getting, he's getting updated on what the gospel really is. All they had was the Old Testament at the time. Acts chapter 10 is pivotal because Peter then is instructed by God to go witness to a man named Cornelius. Now, Cornelius was a Roman soldier. Uh, he was a centurion, meaning he was a general or a captain or a sergeant of at least 100 people under him. And all that's connected with being in the, in the nation of Rome and you know, their expansion, their empire mentality, um, and, and they had all their false gods that were just recycled from Greek, which were recycled from Babylon, which were recycled from Egypt. They were just, the devils just kind of using the same false gods, just with different labels and different names. It's like getting a shirt. You know, you think, well, this, this brand or that brand or this brand or that brand. Well, it's probably all made from the same place, <laughs> just different labels. So, so, Peter then is going to Cornelius, and Cornelius was a devout man. He prayed, the Bible says, and he gave money. So he was a good dude. He was patriotic. He was loyal. He was honest. He wanted to, um, 
take care of his family. Have you ever met like good, good lost people? I know the Bible says none are good. But have you ever met like really decent lost people? They're just, you know, like, yeah, uh, you're just, you're a good neighbor. You're a good employee. You're a good employer. You just don't know Jesus. That was Cornelius. He was a sinner. He wasn't good morally. But he was, he was a decent, upstanding guy that just needed Jesus. So Peter goes to him. And Peter preaches the death, the burial, the resurrection. But Cornelius invited all of his friends, family, everyone. And he's a, he's a tough dude. I mean, he's, a, he's already slayed people, and he's good with the sword, and he's in command. But you kind of read the fact that he's kind of humble. And, and he's command, not commanding, but maybe gently encouraging everyone to come to church that day. <laughs> Like, you're going to church, you're going to church, you're going to hear with Peter's. So I, I, that's probably wrong. But all these people came, and then Peter preaches, and something happened that had never happened before. These are a bunch of Roman Gentiles, pagan, false god-worshipping, lost people. And all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit comes upon them. Let's pick that up. Verse 44 of uh, Acts chapter 10. While Peter yet spoke these words, the gospel, the Holy Ghost fell on all them which heard the word. And they of the circumcision, the Jews, the, the religious people, which believed, so there's believing Jews there, as many as came with Peter, they were amazed because that on the Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Spirit. For they heard them speak with tongues, and many or magnify God. Then Peter said, can anyone forbid water that these should not be baptized, which has received the Holy Ghost as well as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord, and they prayed. Um, this is believer's baptism, by the way. They received the Holy Spirit, and then they believed to prove outwardly what happened to them inwardly. Chapter 11, verse 1. And the apostles and the brethren that were in Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. Remember, the first Nine chapters of Acts is all to the Jews. This is historical. And this is in the early days of the first century church. So the apostles and the brethren that were there, they heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. And when Peter was come up to Jerusalem, they that were with the circumcision, when you read the circumcision, just think of Jews, they contended with him, saying, you went into men uncircumcised and did eat with them? Isn't that a weird response? So people just got saved. They just received the Holy Spirit. And the first thing out of their mouth is, you, you're eating with the dirty, rotten, low-down, yellow-bellied, sap-sucking Gentiles? How dare you, Peter? It's like Jesus, when he's talking to the Jews, when he's like, okay, so on the Sabbath, is it better to like help people? or to have them remain injured and hurt, right? And it's funny that Jesus always has a showdown with the Sabbath because he's healing people on the Sabbath because I think he wants them to get the bigger picture. He'd rather have mercy than sacrifice. He'd rather have love than the letter of the law. And so here these guys are going by the letter of the law, and Peter rehearsed the matter, verse 4, from the beginning and expanded it to them in order, saying this, well, I was in a city of Joppa praying, and I was in a trance, and I saw a vision. 
A certain vessel descended as it had been a great sheet, a blanket, or a tent-type object, come down from heaven by four corners, kind of representing the, all over the earth. And it came to me, upon the which when I had fastened my eyes, I considered and I saw four-footed beasts of the earth, and wild beasts, and creeping things, and fowls of the air. And I heard a voice saying unto me, Arise, Peter, uh, kill and eat. The Bible reminds us slay. You like that phrase, Chloe? It says slay and eat. But I said, not so, Lord, for nothing common or unclean has at any time entered into my mouth. So Peter is observing the old covenant dietary laws. And so he's saying, okay, you're showing me all of these animals and I'm seeing them clearly in this vision. And clearly, I know that those are not animals that me as a good Jew should partake in. But, verse 9, But the voice answered to me again from heaven and said, What God has cleansed, do not call unclean or common. So what God has called clean, who are you to call unclean? So we have... We have some tension between Peter and God. You know, Peter's had tension with the Son of God a few different times. Kind of like that about Peter. So this was done three times, and all were drawn up again into heaven. And behold, immediately there were three men already uh, come to the house where I was and, from, um, and sent from Caesarea, saying unto me, And the Spirit bade me to go with them, nothing doubted. Moreover, these six six brethren accompanied me, and we entered into the man's house. And he showed us how he had uh, seen an angel in his house, which stood and said unto him, Send men from Joppa, or to Joppa, and call for Simon, whose surname is Peter, who shall tell you the words whereby you and your house shall be saved. So, Cornelius had been praying, he'd been fasting, maybe even unto his false gods or unto an unknown god. Could have been Jupiter, could have been, who knows. Um, But an angel of the Lord appeared to him. This is interesting. And then the angel said, I'm going to send, the angel could have told him, but God chooses not to use angels to share the gospel. Galatians chapter 1. Instead, he uses people like us. And so he says, go get Peter, and then Peter will come and tell you the gospel. And so then Peter's telling all these Jews, like, hey, listen, this, I was there. I'm going to tell you what really happened. And as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them as he did on us at the beginning. What's he referring to? Pentecost. So the same thing that happened where all the Jews, they heard the gospel, they believed and they had the Holy Spirit received on them. He said, it's the same thing that was happening. Can you imagine? He's like, can you believe it? The same thing that happened to us uh, in Jerusalem is the same thing that's happening to these. I couldn't believe it. All these Gentiles were together. All I'm doing is sharing the gospel Some angel told them to come get me. They got me. I came. I was obedient. I shared the gospel, and the Holy Spirit came on them as it did on us back in the beginning. So Peter's just, you could imagine, just so stoked about this whole thing. Verse 16, then I remembered, he's saying, then I remembered the word of the Lord, how Jesus said, now he's going back to his time with Jesus. John indeed baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And the word baptizo just means to be immersed or identified with. It's like taking white cloth and dipping it into red dye. You pull it out. It's like that. When John baptized with water, but Jesus baptized with the Spirit, the believers that believe are fully dyed, 
fully immersed, fully identified with the Spirit of God. And then you follow the Lord with water baptism to show that you've been baptized inwardly. Verse 17, For as much then as God gave them the light gift, the light gift, it's a gift, as he did unto us who believed on the Lord, what was I that I could withstand God? And when they heard these things, they held their peace and they glorified God, saying, Then has God also to the Gentiles granted repentance unto life. So, that's a little bit of the background of Acts chapter 11, verses 1 through 18. You guys want to, you guys want to be done? Should we just go? <laughs> um, I promise I'm not going to overdo this, but we'll go to the next slide if you would. So, in verses 1 through 3 of our verses, or Acts chapter 11, remember the, the, the circumcision, the Jews came to Peter and they contended with him. They, they actually started to argue with him. And they said, how dare you? You went unto men that were uncircumcised, that were Gentiles, and you had food and fellowship with them? Oh no, what a terrible crime, Peter. Now, to us, it doesn't seem like a big deal, but to the Jews, it was a huge deal. I mean, if you go to different places around the world, there's cultural things that are just unique to that culture. Ohio, for example. Peanut butter sandwiches and chili? What? Never heard of it. That's a thing for them. You go to Utah, green jello? What in the heck? And they put different things in the green jello. What, no Dr. Pepper, no Coke, no coffee? Weird cultural stuff. That's just in America. Um, you go to India, where's the silverware? You know, <laughs> you're eating rice and sauce all with your hands, you know? And, um, excuse me, sir, where's the bathroom? Oh, no bathroom. Excuse me, sir, where's the toilet paper? Oh, no toilet paper. Excuse me, sir. Wait, now you're cooking our food and serving it with... Okay. It's just culturally different. Um, so, you know, I don't want to really fault these guys because in their mindset, they, this is the way... This is what they were raised with. This is what they're used to. And in Acts chapter 10 and verse 28 on the screen, and he said unto them... You know how that is unlawful thing for a man that is a Jew to keep company or to come unto one of another nation, but God has showed me that I should not call any man common or unclean. And so he's learning this lesson from this dietary thing where God says, hey, don't call something unclean that I've called clean. And they were calling the Gentiles unclean and they had a law and a tradition, don't fellowship with them, don't do anything with the Gentiles, they're unclean, they'll make you defiled, don't do anything with it. And then Peter has this revelation, and Peter is kind of the, the leader of this, this infant uh, Christian church at the time, and no wonder God's downloading him with the Abrahamic promise that through Abraham, the seed is going to come, which happened to be the Virgin Mary, and through him, all the nations are going to be blessed because whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord shall be uh, saved because God so loved the world. And so they're, they're learning this thing from God now. 
that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And I think a good lesson is the Good Samaritan. Put up the Good Samaritan slide, if you would. Some guy asked Jesus, well, you know, I, I know we're supposed to love everyone and love my neighbor and everything, and that's the fulfilling of the law, but Jesus, <laughs> who's my neighbor? And so the, Jesus said, well, okay, I'll tell you who your neighbor is. There was two guys that were going to Jerusalem. One was a Pharisee, the other one was a, a, a priest, I think, I forget. And on their way, they saw this man beaten. Not this one, this is an artist's rendition, obviously. <laughs> and he wasn't a Jew. Maybe they did a circumcision check, I don't know. Uh, but they could tell uh, that he wasn't a Jew. And the Samaritans, of course, are even worse than Gentiles because they're half-breeds. They're half-Jew, half-Gentile. And, um, you know, in certain races, even in our country, if you're not all or nothing, if you're a mix, you're kind of, the, you're treated even the worse. It's just, it's interesting how people do that to other people. Well, he was neither a Jew nor Gentile, but they didn't consider him even Jew. And so he was this Samaritan. He, well, he was mugged, he was robbed, he was beat. He's all messed up. And Jesus says, okay, I'll show you what loving your neighbor looks like. The Pharisees said, nope, too busy. You know, he was probably on his Blackberry because that was an old version back then, right? Beep, beep, beep. Sacrifices and, you know, unleavened bread and beep, beep, beep. He had all his, like, uh, religious emails to go through. The priest definitely knew. He's like, oh, man, I've got to trim the wicks. I've got to, like, change the unleavened bread out. If I, if I touch this guy... First of all, he's a Gentile. I don't really care about them. I don't really care about my own people either. But um, so <laughs> I'll speak on behalf of him. We don't know if this is true. This is my rendition. But in his thinking, maybe in his, in his priestly thinking, think about it. In the law, it was forbidden for you to touch a dead body because if you did, even if it was a Jewish dead body, you were unclean and you had to go through ceremonial washings to make yourself clean again. So he's thinking, why go through the hassle of helping this person? It's only going to inconvenience me. And then in order to make myself clean and presentable to God, I've got to go through all this cleansing stuff. Forget it. And he's on his, like, iPhone 1. Because this is a little long time. It was 2,000 years ago. And so he's too busy. The other guy's too busy. And then the Good Samaritan comes, and he says... Oh, man, I will help this guy. He not only touches them, he puts them on his donkey or whatever his transportation was. He takes him to the local inn. Um, he pays for the bill, and he's still responsible because he was some sort of businessman or something. He was on a journey. He's like, I got to go conduct my business. Um, he was on his razor because it was a long time ago. He's like, I still got, I got this business meeting. I got it. No, I don't know why I'm doing that. That's so stupid. <laughs> it doesn't even make sense. Um, so he's going to go do his business stuff, but he says, what take, and, and he stayed with him the whole night, by the way. He stayed with him that night, tending to his wounds. And then in the morning, when he's checking out of the hotel, we, we think that we're, they're, they're like, we're cave dwellers or hunter gatherers, they were a civilized people. I mean, have you ever been to Roman ruins or to Israel? There were civilized people, highly civilized. So it was a, it was a normal transaction. Like, yeah, they didn't. He, 
he didn't get this a good rate on like Expedia, right? He just showed up and he paid for the hotel thing. He checked out in the morning and he said, I'm gonna come back, put everything on my tab, even, even medical expenses, food, everything. This guy had access to the mini bar. Mini bars aren't cheap. And the, and the guy that put him in the hotel and said, put it all on my, on my tab, I'm gonna go away and come again. Let me give you a clue. Sounds a lot like Jesus. Because that's what Jesus is doing. He loves the Jews. He loves the Gentiles. He binds up people's wounds. He pays the debt that you cannot pay. He heals the wounds that you cannot wound. He said, I'm going to go away, but everything's on my tab, but I will come again. Sounds like Jesus. So Jesus has this unique ability to touch something or someone that was unclean, clean it, and yet he himself remains clean. Jesus can touch a leper, a demon-possessed person, a harlot, a drunkard, a homeless person, a Gentile, someone in prison, a thief, or just a plain old dirty, rotten sinner like how we were all found. He can touch the unclean, and yet he himself remain clean. He is known as the friend of unclean sinners. He's the friend of them. And when you're a friend of someone, you're in close proximity. You know, you call it like, yeah, rubbing shoulders, bumping elbows. Jesus was touching all kinds of unclean people. Jesus touched dead people. Jesus touched lepers. And he's considered the high priest, something a priest would never do because it's considered unclean. And so Jesus has this unique ability to touch sinners and yet remain sinless, to touch someone unholy or unclean, yet he himself remain holy and clean. Jesus. So even though Jesus wrote the law and fulfilled the law, he knew that the spirit of the law was that he wanted mercy and love instead of just keeping the letter of the law. Because what does the law say? Don't touch him, he's unclean. What does love say? Yeah, he needs help. Touch him. It's okay. How many of us would just go by the letter of the law? Because it's kind of safe when you do that, right? Well, I can't, you know. I remember when I was a kid, mom said I can't get wet when we came into a water fight or something. You ever pull that one? Mom said I couldn't get wet. And so you're like, you're excused from the water fight. <laughs> you know, like, God, I, got, I can't do that. God said, you know. But is that the spirit behind it? Yeah, I know it gets you, it gets you out of like some sort of helping uh, situation, but is that really like keeping the letter of the law? See, even think about this, where Jesus says, go the second mile. The law says you are only obligated for one. That's why Jesus says, go the second. You weren't obligated. But people that are just one mile Christians, they're just, oh, well, I, did, I did my thing. I did my thing. I, you know, it was one mile. I just, bare minimum. And then, but Jesus is second, third, fourth, fifth mile. Jesus and he lives in us, wanting to go the extra mile through us. And so, so the Jews constantly wrestled with the law and their own add-on traditions, and what would make them clean, what would make them unclean. Um, it's like they had religious OCD. And I've been, I've been to Israel, and you, Mike, I don't know if you, did you go to the, um, the Mosque of Omar behind the Wailing Wall, the blue place where all the Muslims, it's, you didn't go there? Um, 
Well, you probably saw it, no doubt, if you're, you saw it. But if you are to go there, they have this big basin where they have a bunch of water spigots, and you'll see the Muslims coming up, and they're washing their hands, and they're washing their feet. And it's interesting because then the Jews have their own ritual, and they both think they're, they both think they're getting cleaner than the, than the it's like a, a cleanliness competition. <laughs> like, yeah. My wife says she just switched to organic uh, laundry detergent because we're listening to a Tide commercial, and it's, she's like, Tide's so expensive. I'm like, but it smells good. And, um, you know, I don't know, I don't know why I'm talking about that. Like, there's just a cleanliness competition. There are people like you have to advertise, we're cleaner than the other ones. So the Jews and the Muslims, they're having a cleanliness competition. The Jews, when you watch them, in their own culture, in real time, still do the washing thing. It's like they're they're obsessively compulsed to to like do it so many times, and this is going to make them acceptable. Turn with me, if you would, to Mark chapter seven. We'll pick this thought up in Mark chapter seven. Mark chapter seven. You have to turn in your uh, Bible. Mark chapter seven, verse one. Then came together unto him the Pharisees and certain of the scribes, is to be the Bible uh, writers, which came from Jerusalem. And when they saw of his disciples eat bread, so, they, so these religious elites were looking at Jesus and his disciples, and they saw them, they were just eating bread with defiled, that is to say with unwashed hands, they found fault. Of course, they don't want to hear like the real, what the real message is. If they could just, if, just give me a reason. And I think like a lot of people that don't know Jesus, they just are looking for reasons. You know, they'll, they'll find hypocrisy. If you're looking for it, you could find it in anyone. But it doesn't hold up though. Like, you know, I'm not going to go to your church, a bunch of hypocrites there. I'm like, yeah, but you go to Sam's Club. You go to Costco, there's no parking. Obviously, you go to places where hypocrites go. I mean, that doesn't even make sense. But For the Pharisees and all the Jews, except they wash their hands often, uh, they don't eat. They eat not, holding to the tradition of the elders. And like, how many, how many, is it like seven times? Is it the water temperature? What, you know, what does it have to be to get, you know? And when they come from the market, and this is because they were, they were, um, under siege or uh, occupation, that's the right word, uh, from Rome. So they, there was the, the money exchange, there was like uh, Gentile merchandise and Jewish merchandise, and so there was this mixture, but so they had this idea, well, I know that um, our forefathers disobeyed God, and that's why we're being disciplined because of the old covenant conditions. If we do this, we'll be blessed, we don't be cursed. Now we're being chastened by the Lord, and part of this is now we're occupied by these Gentiles, so I got it. Wash your hands seven times. If you go to the marketplace and you're, and you're touching some like Roman leather, some Italian leather, that's what it would be, and you like that Gucci stuff down in the, in the old market in Jerusalem, when you come back after you touch that dirty Gucci leather, wash your hands seven times. So, and they said, and except they come from the market, except they wash, they eat not, many other things, it says, there be, which they have not received to hold as a washing of cups and pots and brazen vessels and tables. Just washing, 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 washing. <clears throat> Why? Because they thought what they, what they call clean 
God would have to call clean, and they didn't get the message. No, it's whatever God calls clean is clean, and what he calls unclean is unclean. Then the Pharisees and the scribes asked him and said, Why walk not your disciples according to the tradition of the elders, but eat bread with unwashed hands? And he answered and said unto him, Well has Isaiah prophesied of you hypocrites. As it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In other words, they're going through the motions. They want to look good on the outside, but the inside, outside they're looking clean, inside looking dirty, according to Jesus. Howbeit in vain they do worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. And man, has that plagued even the New Testament church since, since 2,000 years ago. For laying aside the commandment of God, you hold the tradition of men as washing of pots and cups and many other such things like you do. All these add-on things. Many other such things that you do. Drop down to verse 15. There is nothing from without a person that entering in him can defile him, but it's the things which come out of him. Those are they which defile you. And he's talking about out of the heart. That's why Jesus said, that's why God said in the Old Covenant, I'm going to come and take out your old heart and give you my spirit. And so the corruption came from within, not from without. They could, you know, they could clean all they want, clean all the pots, clean all the things. But if you've never been born again, you've never had a heart transplant, you're still dirty on the inside. So moving on, next slide. What God has called clean, don't call unclean. That's Acts 11:9, back in our text. So he says, but the voice answered me again from heaven, what God has cleansed, call, call not thou unclean. And so here God is going to use the dietary laws to illustrate to Peter that even the Gentiles can be cleansed by God. So God is trying to illustrate that the Lord is an equal opportunity Savior, an equal access God. He wants both Jews and Gentiles, male and female, rich or poor, barbarian, Scythian, uh, children, old people, everyone of the world that, that he has created, he wants them back in a relationship uh, with him. Not for what he can get out of people, but what he could give people, which is his love and his life. So God then uses this, these dietary restrictions of the Old Covenant to Peter now that, now that he's on the Old Covenant, dietary laws. Jesus came, and he says, you know, um, you're not going to have a testament unless there's the death of a testator. That's Hebrews chapter 9. So Jesus dies. That's why we do communion. This is the testament in my blood. And Jesus said, I give you a new commandment. So we're on this side. And so the old covenant was on that side of the cross. The, it's not Matthew 1, 1 that starts the new covenant, even though your publisher puts that and mine has it too. But it's the death of Jesus. That's the new covenant. That's when he sheds his blood. That's when he pays for it. That's the covenant start. And then he backs it up by his resurrected life. So we're on this side. We're in the new covenant. And in the new covenant, God is trying to tell this, this nine chapters deep into Acts, the church history. He finally, he uses food as an illustration to Peter that this new covenant, part of the mystery of the new covenant is that Jews and Gentiles will be a, a one body and one bride in Christ. And that was like... Tradition, tradition. It was blowing their like tradition mind. So the pig, the shrimp, the catfish, the crab, 
They're all clean. When Noah got off the ark in Genesis chapter 9, God said to Noah the same thing he said to Peter, arise, kill and eat. He said the exact same thing. Read it. Genesis chapter 9. In other words, Noah, hey, take your family, go down to Dickie's Barbecue and go get you some pulled pork. Get off the boat. Go to the next leg. Noah's family night out. It's going to Red Lobster. Some crawfish. You like how I put the door right next to the... <laughs> uh, uh, uh. It's not very good editing, but... Fresh fish, live lobster, not for a Jew. Peter would be like, he'd be like, uh, he'd be putting the door back up, never. <laughs> or going to Sizzler for all-you-could-eat shrimp. I remember that as a kid. I was like, are you, I could have seconds on popcorn shrimp? <laughs> and then like, like at round four, you're feeling kind of guilty because you don't want to take it too literally. Like you said all you could eat, and I could eat a lot of these little shrimp. Sorry I'm inconveniencing you, but round four, please. <laughs> so after a while, they just, they just know. They cut, they cut you off. They don't come by. Is there even a sizzler in an existence anymore? Okay. Sizzler. So years later, under the law, you could not eat at these fine eateries. So Noah gets off the ark. Eat, kill, it's all good. <clears throat> then years later, the Mosaic law comes, don't eat, unclean. Okay, weird. Then, this side of the New Testament, vision comes down. By the way, go, kill and eat, it's all clean again. Wait, so it was clean, unclean, and now clean again. I know, we, I know we had some people that worked for CRISPR, uh, gene uh, editing technology. Like, did CRISPR technology come back and change the genes of the animals to make them from clean to unclean to back? Did we gen genetically modify these animals so now that we could, so they're legitimately clean to eat? And I, I think people, they get so hung up on this. Have you ever met people in different religions? They're so hung up on this. For example, when I go to India, it's very different what you could eat and can't eat. Some, some parts of India, strictly vegetarian because they worship the cow. No beef. No animals because of reincarnation. You might be killing a relative. So just vegetables. Others are like, no, you could eat, you could eat some protein and vegetables, but no cow. And then you go to the Muslims, you know, like 70% of the nation over there is Muslim, and they're like, they're the ones you get all your beef from. They're like, no, we, we love cow, but we don't eat pigs. You're like, what? It's so confusing, you know? And what God does with Peter is he just downloads him the four corners and he says, anything that you see, it's on the menu. It's all good. It's all clean. And, and Peter's arguing with him, no, 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 no. And God has to rebuke him and say, it's not up to you to decide what is clean and unclean. It's up to God. So the matter of being clean, unclean, and back to clean was an issue of obedience because it is, it's like we don't come to God on our terms and we don't determine what's clean and unclean. God sets the standard, not us. And God wanted obedience. 
So during the time, there was nothing genetically wrong with the catfish, Brother Eric. I know you don't like catfish that much anyways, do you? Nah, yeah, but uh, whatever. Or any of the fishes that, that uh, I've eaten a lot of variety of fish with Eric. <laughs> when, we, when he used to treat me to lunch, that was actually the best part of the whole day. <laughs> Work with Eric and you get to go to, what was it, birth 39? 55. Um, all the fish. I tried all the fish on the menu, all of them. I'm like, hey, that one, that one, that one, that one, that one. But not if you were a Jew. But nothing genetically changed. Nothing made those fish more acceptable to eat now than during the Old Covenant. It's a matter of God wants to, to say, this is what I'm saying is clean. This is how I'm saying you're saved. This is how you receive the Holy Spirit. This is who is able to receive the Holy Spirit. And it's any and everyone, even if you think they're unclean. And he's trying to say, when it comes to people as it is to food, you don't get to determine who's clean and unclean. God does. And I think we have a hard time with that a little bit, maybe. So the point is this, is what God calls is clean, it's clean. And the application might be, we might even act dirty, but God calls us clean. So what we got to say is, okay, do we, do we agree with God? I didn't put this verse up there, but 1 Corinthians 8.8, 8, if you want to make a note of this, because I had this as an afterthought, and I wrote it twice in my notes to like make sure I shared this. Because in 1 Corinthians 8.8, 8, let me turn there really fast. He's having this discussion with the Corinthians who are in a different situation where they're eating meat unto idols, and still a food issue. And in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 8 and verse 8, he says, But food commends us not to God, for neither if we eat are we the better, and neither if we eat not are we the worse. So what he's saying in, in 1 Corinthians 8.8 8, is your dietary restrictions, it doesn't make you better or worse. Have you ever been around like hardcore um, vegans? You know, and they're like looking at your shoes. Huh, where do, the, where do those leather products come from? You pull out your water to pay for their vegan food and you've got a leather wallet and they're judging you, but they're not judging you for paying for their food. But they're just judging the, you know, the container of which holding their free lunch in, your wallet. The issue is not what you eat or don't eat. The, and the issue for Christians that have liberty in Christ is like if someone's weak in Romans 14, don't impose your liberty on someone else to make their weak conscience stumble, he says. It's better just not to eat at all. Just, just eat your vegan, just you know, hide your leather wallet, go barefoot so they don't see your leather shoes. Um, even Birkenstocks wouldn't be like granola enough for them because it's leather, you know. But not if you eat or don't eat, you're not, neither the better nor the worse, the Bible says. So food doesn't commend you to God, and it doesn't like dis, uh, dis uh, own you to God. First uh, Timothy chapter four. This will be on the screen. Now the Spirit speaks expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. Here's what these demonic doctrines, these demonic influences, will say. They'll speak lies and hypocrisy, and they'll have their conscience seared with a hot iron. 
In other words, they'll be so hypocritical, they won't even know what, what they're even saying anymore because they're just all wrapped up and they're just lies and hypocrisy. Here's some of the things they say. They'll forbid to marry, and they'll command to abstain from foods, meats, which God created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. For every creature of God is good and nothing to be refused. Do you see that? So really the hardcore dietary things, this side of the cross in the new covenant, that doesn't come from God. But now let's say someone's hung up on that. I'm not going to I'm not going to one-up them and, you know, and eat all this stuff in front of them just because I can. I'd rather win a brother or sister uh, to Christ than to offend someone. So that's not the right attitude, but just know where that comes from. You're free, Christian. You're free. Look at Colossians chapter 2, verse 20. You died with Christ. That was spiritually speaking. Your old man was crucified. And you're made free from the powers that influence this world. So why do you act as though you still belong to the world? I mean, why do you follow rules like these? Don't eat this. Don't taste that. Don't touch that. These rules are talking about earthly things uh, that, are, that have gone after. I normally read the King James all the time and preach from it. And, and, but I decided to use the um, English Revised Version for this because I, like I like the way it worded that, that idea. These are only human commandments and teachings, traditions of men. These rules may seem to be wise as part of made-up religion in which people pretend to be humble uh, and punish or neglect to the satisfying of their body. So in other words, don't, don't eat this, don't eat that, don't touch this, and they're neglecting themselves. They're so humble and pious and religious, and he's saying, don't buy that. Don't buy it at all. You know, like the, the, the false religious humility, and like, I'm just, I have no worldly goods, and I don't eat certain foods, and I do this on this day, and I, do, I don't do that on this day. I'm just a humble servant of whoever you fill in the blank. God, that they're, what Paul's saying is just don't be impressed by that. Don't be fooled. That's false humility and it's lies. So the point of the food was to introduce the mystery of oneness. So God is starting a whole new race of people. Jews are from all over the world because they've been scattered, the the diaspora. Gentiles are from all over the world. Remember, it kind of goes back to Babylon and being dispersed. But when a person receives Christ, they are neither Jew nor Gentile. They are the church of God, and they're one in Christ. They're a complete and clean bride of Christ. Go to the next slide. One in Christ. Jew nor Gentile, one in Christ. Go to the next slide, if you would. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of the water uh, by the word. Notice the washing is, is the metaphor for the Bible. And he might present to himself a glorious church without spot or wrinkle or any such things that it should be holy and without blemish. Go to the next slide. Give none offense neither to the Jews nor to the Gentiles nor to the church of God because it's a new race cleansed by God. See, there's not Jew, there's not Gentile. There's the, there are real Jews, there are real Gentiles, but if you're a Jew and a Gentile that receives Christ, you've stepped out of that race of a Jew, out of that race of a Gentile, and now you're a new race. You're, you're the church. And this was the mystery. This was, this was what God was telling to Abraham. All the nations, all the nations are going to be blessed when they put their faith alone in Christ alone. 
There's neither Jew nor Gentile or Greek. There's neither bond nor free. There's neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And so this Acts chapter 10 incident with Cornelius was a big deal historically. Acts chapter 15, it'll be on the screen. And when there had been much disputing, Peter rose up and said, because he's recalling this, this thing that we're going through in Acts. He says, men and brethren, you know uh, how that a good while ago, God made a choice among us that the Gentiles by my mouth should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, which knows the hearts, bear them witness, giving them the Holy Spirit, even as he did unto us. <coughs> Excuse me. And he put no difference between us and them, Jews or Gentiles, purifying their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why tempt you, God, and to put a yoke on the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were even able to bear? But we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved even as they. So this distinction between two groups is Jews and Gentiles, and they're working out this differentiated thing that had been, that had been such an issue of contention and separation for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, and now God's bringing it all together through Peter, then through Paul, and you see this convergence of Jews and Gentiles, and he says, the same way we receive the Holy Spirit as a gift, the same way they receive the Holy Spirit as a gift. Why try to put the, the Gentiles under the old covenant uh, mosaic laws? And he's being honest. He said, we couldn't even do it. <laughs> I love the honesty. Like, I couldn't even keep, you know, the, the Mosaic law. And then lastly, here's where we'll just kind of end up here. Oh, we have way a lot more, but we're going to trim it down. We're going to trim this fat off this food. Verses 11 through 18, they received the same gift and were baptized by the same Holy Spirit. So, again, we can't do anything to make ourselves clean or keep ourselves clean. Water doesn't wash away our sin. It doesn't make us clean. It doesn't make us acceptable. I remember in Utah... Um, hearing about people thinking they had to get baptized the right way, even if their toe stuck out of the water, they'd have to rebaptize them. I thought that was so interesting. And because they thought that the water was cleaning them and the ritual was going to do something magical. And really, I, I thought to myself, even if you get baptized in a pool filled with the tears of Joseph Smith and Brigham Young, that still doesn't cleanse you or save you. That's like holy water to them, but that still wouldn't save you. We're not saved by good works. We're not sanctified by good works. We're not made clean by human effort. We're not kept clean by our performance. Titus 3.5 puts it this way on the screen. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost. 1 Corinthians 6.11, and he just got done going through a list homosexuals, adulterers, thieves, liars, covetousness, drunkards. He says, and such were some of you, but now you are washed, you are sanctified, you are justified in the name of Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. He says, that's what you used to be, but that's not who you are now, because you've been cleansed. And that didn't come from water, it didn't come from uh, observing some sort of religious Atkins diet. <laughs> it just came from trusting in Jesus. Revelation 1.5 on the screen. And from Jesus, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. So, 
You know, Jesus knows who is clean and who is not clean. And the question is, do we know ourselves? I think, I think it's, um, it's in John. It might be the next slide. It might be the next verse. For Jesus knew. Remember, he's washing the disciples' feet. And Peter's like, don't just wash my feet. Wash everything. And Jesus is using that as an illustration. Not only did he come to serve and to minister and to be an example of, like, I came to show you love and everything, uh, but Peter's thinking still externally, and Jesus said, you're clean. You guys are clean. You, you, those that are born again are clean on the inside. But he said this about Judas. He says, for he knew he'd betray him. Therefore, he said, you're not all clean. See, cleanliness is an inside issue. It's an inside job. And the only way that this inside job could get cleaned is by the blood of Christ, by putting faith in the finished work of Jesus. So... If Jesus made you clean, you're clean. If Jesus made someone else clean, we do not call someone or something unclean, which God has called and made clean. Jews, Muslims, Hindus, Seventh-day Adventists, Mormons, and a lot of other religions can call certain things unclean and unsanctified, but the real issue is what God calls clean is clean. If you have trusted Jesus and he is in you, he had to forgive you to fill you, which meant he cleansed you from all unrighteousness and he departed, I mean imparted and imputed his holy righteous life. You're now clean. Does that mean I always act clean? No. But I'm not clean by activity. I'm clean by my identity. I'm not clean by my behavior. I'm clean by my new birth in, into being a new creation in Christ. It's like me going to the American consulate and begging the American consulate to make me an American because I haven't been behaving too patriotic lately. In fact, I forgot, to, I forgot the words of the national anthem and I went to the Ducks hockey game last year. I haven't been reading my constitution lately. I haven't memorized the, you know, the Bill of Rights. Uh, I haven't been hanging an American flag out lately. I just forgot to, even on the 4th of July... I mean, I, could you imagine me just saying, please, just, just allow me to be called an American. I want to make America great again. How can I if I don't feel American? That would be ridiculous because all they'd have to do is say, sir, do you have a license, a birth certificate, a passport? Let me see your birth certificate. Mine would say, Born in San Diego, California, 1991. And so, no, I was, that's, I'm just kidding. I'm just trying to make up my. Um, so they'd say, sir, you're just, you're acting contrary to who you really are. You're an American. You're just, you're just, you're, you feel like you're not because of the way you're acting. And that's the way we'll feel as Christians. When we don't act Christian and we don't act like the clean person that we are and we act dirty, it feels contrary. It just does, it feels off. Not that if you clean up your life, are you actually going to be clean? But if you clean up your life, you clean up your activity to match your identity, you just feel better. You don't, you don't feel like incongruent with, you don't feel out of sorts. But being clean comes from the inside, not the inside. Three more verses. Turn to this one and then we'll be done. 
this is the only one you're going to have to turn to. The other one will be on the screen. But Matthew chapter 23. This is, I just want you to see this because this is no small issue. Back in Jesus' day, that was, was the, one, of the, one of the contemporary issues he had to deal with. And so the religious people, these right-wing, hardcore fundamentalists that were always right and never wrong, they based everything based on what they did. And it was like a religious competition, and they would judge everyone that wouldn't keep quite the standards. Read, read Matthew 23 in its entirety when you get a chance. He's like, you guys are hypocrites. You put stuff on people that you don't even do yourself. You're hypocrites. And I think that's why a lot of young people don't want to come to the Christian church. It's because when people are peddling rules rather than relationship, they don't want it. They don't want it. They just don't want it. They know more about what we're against than rather than who we're for. And they just don't want it. They think we're unloving. They think we're unkind. They think we don't have compassion. And you've got to ask yourself, are they right? Are they right? I'm not saying that about us. I'm just, this is like across the country. It's, it's happening. People deconstructing their faith. Because all they see is like a, this misrepresentation of God. Like he's some just angry tyrant that if you don't eat the right thing or say the right thing or do the right thing, that he's just going to be in a bad mood. Matthew 23, though, Jesus says that to this people that had that sort of attitude, these judgmental, self-righteous Pharisees. He's calling them hypocrites, vipers, snakes, you know, children of the devil. Jesus reserves his harshest language for religious people. And he reserves his gracious language for the sinners. Isn't that interesting? We are the opposite. <laughs> We use our harshest language towards the sinners, right? You dirty, dirty. And are like, oh, okay, brother, sister, for the religious. But look at what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 23, in verse 25. Woe unto you, scribes, Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you may clean the outside of the cup and of the platter, but within they are full of extortion and excess. You blind Pharisees, cleanse first that which is within the cup and the platter, and that the outside may be clean also. And by the way, you can't clean the inside. The only way you could do it is by receiving Jesus. It's his work, not ours. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You're like unto whited graves, which indeed appear beautiful outwardly, but are within full of dead men's bones and of all uncleanliness. Even so, outwardly, you appear righteous unto men, but within you are full of hypocrisy and iniquity. Jesus. So righteousness comes from our belief and our birth, not our behavior. It's an internal cleansing. It's not an external cleansing. It's a gift. Righteousness, holiness, and sanctification, justification. All these things to be cleansed is not maintained or achieved, it's only received when we believed. So it's not all the forbidden religious items that we're separated from that makes us clean, but who we are separated to that makes us clean and righteous and close and compatible. So the last two verses, Titus chapter 2, 14, Jesus gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity. In the Greek, all means all, and that's all that it means. All your iniquity have been cleansed. He redeemed it from all of it, and he purified, cleansed himself 
a peculiar special people zealous for good works. Why do we do good works? We don't do good works to, to become clean. We do good works because we've been made clean. That's the motive of our good works, because we are clean. And you know what? Kind of like Jesus, you could touch something unclean and yet remain clean, because your cleanliness comes from the inside. Yeah. I remember our first date, uh, Jen and I. <laughs> I saw this guy's legs coming out of the bushes, and I thought he was dead. And this was our very first date. And I grabbed his ankle, <laughs> and I'm pulling him out, because I'm like, maybe I could help him, or maybe he's dead. I don't know. And, um, and he was drunk and passed out, so. And his, like, he was, his shoes and socks were nasty. I did wash my hands um, after that. But I didn't think, like, if I touch him, I'm going to be religiously unclean. So look at last verse, 1 John 1, 7. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, first of all, who is the light? Where is the light? If you're a Christian, where, so who is, who is the light? Jesus. If you're a Christian, where is Jesus? So where is the light? So when you walk, are you walking in the light? Can you walk into a dark place, but yet the light be in you? Does the light ever extinguish or go out? Does darkness ex dis, uh, extinguish the light, or does light extinguish the darkness? Which way does it work? Yes. <laughs> so... We walk in the light as he's in the light. We have fellowship with one another. Now, are you in the fellowship? Yes. Is fellowship conditional? This is a hang-up for a lot of Christians, and I, I wish I could set Christians free across the, across the country. You're, it, the, the Greek word fellowship is koinonia. It's the same word communion. It's the same word for union. It's the same word for one. We use that for communion, koinonia, but it's also the same word that we translate uh, uh, fellowship, and we've made it conditional. Like, I'm in the fellowship, I'm out of it. No, 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 no. 1 Corinthians 6.17, he that's joined to the Lord is one spirit with the Lord. John 17, the Lord's prayer, I pray that they might be one as we are one. Jesus prayed and got his prayer answered because now he forgave us to fill us, and he's never going to leave us nor forsake us. You might quench the Spirit or grieve the Spirit, but you're never like departing from the Spirit, and the Spirit's never departing from you. You can't get any closer than where you are with Christ right now. You are clean and close and compatible with the Holy Spirit. Religion would have you believe something else, so you jump through all these hoops to get back in, into the fellowship with God. It's manipulation, and it's wrong. You're in the fellowship. Think of this. Uh, this is not correct Greek or etymology, but it's, it'll work. Two fellows in a ship. You're in the fellowship. You're some fellows in the ship with Jesus, and he's never going to make you walk the plank. He might make you swab the decks, but he's not going to make you walk the plank. <laughs> so he cleanses us from all sin. Amen? Amen. Let's stand and be dismissed in a word of prayer. Jesus, I thank you for all of those that have put their faith alone in Christ alone, that you have called and made clean. We couldn't clean ourselves. We couldn't do it from the outside. Religion couldn't do it. Water couldn't do it. Baptism couldn't do it. Performance couldn't do it. Food couldn't do it. Only Jesus could make us clean. And what you call clean, <clears throat> help us not to call unclean. And Lord Jesus, just as we could come in contact with things that are unclean, 
may our own testimony and lives be such a way that people that are unclean would like to be cleansed by your free offer. And so, Lord, I pray that as we leave today that we just go be the church, the cleansed church that you called us to be. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You are dismissed.